You are now listening to the Wiser Words podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. And today I'm extremely lucky to have Stephen Gates, who is uh, the head of design evangelism for Envision. He needs no introduction. I'm sure you know who he is. Um, so welcome, Stephen. I really appreciate uh, your time today. Well, no, thanks so much for having me. I, I mean, intros like that are always, I don't know, they're always flattering, but I think I've, I've met me and I'm not that cool. But uh, no, I'm glad to be on the show. <laughs> thanks so much. So, Stephen, what is your job title all about? What is head of design evangelism? <laughs> no, I think, I think you know, it's it's the number one question I get probably shortly after is Clark from Envision actually real? Uh, so what, what my title really means, and I know it sounds dangerously like something out of an episode of Silicon Valley, was whenever, you know, probably about 11 months ago when I joined the company, I, I had a conversation with Clark. And what he, he said was, you know, look, what Whenever you look at the industry, where do you see there's a need? What's something that you're really passionate about? And and for me, my role really is going in and working with you know some of the world's best companies, some of the world's emerging companies, to ultimately help them elevate the impact of design. And that can be going in and coaching their leadership. It can be going in and teaching their teams. It can be going in and doing a lot of different things, working on the roadmap for how do they grow their team. But a lot of it really is how do we bring tangible experience? How do we bring the best practices? Because I think I'm, and Envision is really incredibly lucky that we work with 97% of the world's Fortune 100 brands. So we have a really unique perspective, but it's sort of being that design Robin Hood of bringing the design rich and, and sort of giving it to everybody else. But it's also the ability, because of my experience, because of my leadership, to put that information in context. You can throw a stone and hit anybody who will teach you something like design thinking. The ability to look at how do I scale it? How do I get executives to see value in it and invest in it? How do I really make it something more than, hey, it was that fun workshop we took that one time that didn't go anywhere? That's really what my job is all about. So on a day-to-day basis, what is the, the life of Stephen? <laughs> well, I mean, the last, I mean, I can tell you what the last six weeks of Stephen has been. So that that was flying to Melbourne to do the opening keynote for Pause Fest, which is one of the biggest uh, events that they do down there. I still do quite a bit of public speaking. It was going to a leadership retreat that they had out in the Otways, which is sort of out in the bush, to be able to kind of help coach about 30 of Australia's top design leaders. It was going to Sydney for five days to then be able to help coach a lot of those sort of companies, get in and understand them. Um, Envision, which is a com- the world's largest completely remote company, a lot of people don't know that we have no office, came back, spent a week. We have uh, something called IRL, which is in real life, so spent a week with that. Followed by, I was home for, I think, all of 24 hours before going to Santa Fe to do another design leadership camp with some of the world's best design leaders here in America. Was home for another 24 hours and then yesterday gave a solo keynote at South by Southwest on building empowered design teams. Amazing. I actually saw on, on LinkedIn earlier, um, someone commented, they agreed with 80% of your yeah. what you said, but they disagreed with 20%, which I thought was, I thought was interesting. What was that about? Was that building in-house design team? Yeah, it, it was really looking at, because one of the things that we did was um, a few weeks ago, we in Vision, we launched, it was the world's largest ever look at what is the current state of design maturity and the impact of design on organizations. So other consultancies and things like that have done studies. This was about 75 to 77 times bigger. So it was a little bit of a look at what were the results of that study. And then really digging into with all these different companies that I go and work with, what are the most common challenges that I see? What are the most common problems with in-house in particular? So yeah, that's what that's what the whole talk really focused on. 
cetera. So that's actually the first topic I'd love to, to chat with you about. And it's a, what a lot of my clients struggle with is taking, uh, getting rid of, uh, not getting rid of, reducing spend on agencies and building in-house design capabilities and they just don't have a strategy for that they they can't spot they can't spot like true design leaders how would you go about building out a true in-house design capabilities yeah no it's yeah i mean it's something i've i've done a few times uh, i i think one is that it definitely starts with you need you need in-house leadership, right? Like there is no substitute for that. There's no substitute for somebody that's going to be able to deliver on the goods. Because in, in many cases, you know, ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to take an in-house team, which is often viewed as a commodity. This is the make it pretty. So like whenever I got to Starwood, the in-house team was, you know, they were essentially designing posters for the HR department for elevators, right? Like it, it oh, was gosh. not. And I think, you know, over the course of that nine years, because of executive support, because of investment, you know, by the end, those exact same people, the exact same leadership. I mean, we were one of the top four teams in the world working with Apple and Google and a bunch of things like that. So I think you, you can attack it from a number of different fronts. I think one is just your ability to do better work. You're inside this company. You have the ability to be closer to the decisions, the ability to be closer to the metrics, to be able to do some of those things, to be able to leverage that. You should be able to do better work. You can look at, you know, just really straight from a straight cost basis. I mean, in, in my experience, an in-house head will generally cost two to two and a half times less than an agency head. So if you just want to do a straight line, you know, cosplay, you can do something there. But I think the other part of it, though, whenever you do that, is that it, it can't be us versus them. I think on the one hand, you need to really be able to take on the a lot of the times the thinking, and it's like an agency hangover almost, that external thinking is somehow better. That if we want an original idea, we have to go outside. That has to be where we... I don't necessarily agree with that. But that being said, I think that there absolutely is a lot of value in getting an outside perspective and, and getting those other sort of people who can come in and do that. But again, for me, the places where I've generally started, one, the work, right? Like the work is the truth, your ability to get in, build relationships, be able to put a process in place, paint the future of what that's going to be, show some success, the ability to do cost savings, things like that. Like I think those tend to be the big starting points where you can start to get people's attention um, for why it is you need to do that. And I think the other thing that you can do is that also use some of the metrics that are out there. Like in our report, we'll actually show that that companies that have high um, design teams with high maturity, the, the actual revenue of that company is about 26 times bigger than companies that have low design maturity. So it, it also can produce really wow. tangible you know, financial impact. How did you go about that, that report out of interest? So yeah, so Leah Buley led that report, and she's she's amazing. She's somebody I'm I'm incredibly lucky to be able to work with. And and it was going out and talking with a lot of our customers and, and sending out surveys. We talked about 2,200 different companies, um, you know, in in a, pretty much all over the world in tons of different industries. Um, you can, if anybody's interested, you can go to designbetter.com and actually be able to download the entire report and be able to dig into that. But it was, it was sending out these sort of questionnaires and we, and we looked at a lot of different dimensions, things from headcount to design maturity to design operations. There, there's about probably 30 or 40 different metrics there that, that we dug into to be able to sort of, again, get this sort of data and understanding of really what's the current state of design. And what do you think the current state of design is? Because I had a conversation with Jared Spall, uh, it was about four weeks ago, um, and we were talking about where are the true design leaders? Because I... I struggle to hire really top product design talent here in London. Um, and I personally think the US is leading the way 
for product designers in particular. Yeah. Is there a reason why Envision only hire remotely? Is that to be able to hire the best people, or? Well, yes, yeah, so yeah. So I think there's there's a there's a few things to unpack there. So at Envision, when whenever the company was started, I mean, really, what we had sort of realized was, look, if you want to compete for top talent, you want to compete with the Facebooks, the Apples, the Googles, the you know the, those people of the world, we have to really do something different. And and so for us, it was about the biggest thing that we can do that's different is to say, look, work from wherever you want. Work yeah. from home. I don't. I don't need to talk to you into moving to New York or San Francisco. I don't. You know. I, I work with people all over the world. I, I. I work with people who are like working in RV. So I, I think you know from a, a lifestyle perspective, it, it's a massive, massive advantage that you know if you can take that New York or San Francisco salary and go live anywhere in the world, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity to be able to do that. And and I think the culture that then comes with it is obviously very, very different. But I think the other thing was was really what in something that you had just said was around product design. Because I think a lot of what I see in a lot of the world is that over the last five, six, eight years, maybe, we made this shift. We made a shift from visual design to product design. And product design just requires a holistically different set of skills. I mean, all of a sudden, we need to understand data. We need to be able to understand how to work with other teams. We There's a whole host of things that I think really come with that. And that's really where I think a lot of people are struggling because a lot of the leadership that's out there has no training in it. They have training in visual yeah. design. And I think, so true. yeah, and, and I think this is where we see this in the industry is that a lot of executives still want to treat us as visual design. And, and the numbers bear it out. In that maturity stu study we did, you know, we sort of ranked companies. One was the lowest. That's the make it pretty sort of design. Five was the highest. And, and we saw that 83% of companies are stuck in the middle to the bottom. Only 5% of the teams actually hit high maturity. And so I think, you know, for me right now, I think that my, the thing that I think is great, but the concern that I have is that like, you know, look, does in-house design and design in general is having a moment. But I think, yeah. you know, as leadership, as a lot of these people, we need to figure out how do we step up and do things differently so it's not just a moment. And so how, what, how do you think people can do it differently? I think it's, you know, for a lot of it, for me, is like when people, a designer would ask me, like, should I learn to code? Should I? Like, it absolutely has value to be able to understand how to do that. But for me, it's about how do you understand business? How do you understand how to position the impact of business? And in many cases, for me, it's even starting to get more nuanced about, you know, broadening the word around something like design. Because for me, there's even a very key differentiation between design and creativity. Creativity is what companies want. Whenever they say they want innovation, whenever they want teams are going to break through, that creativity, the problem solving, the consumer centricity, a lot of those things, that's what they're really asking for. But so many of the teams that I go and talk to, so many of the teams I deal with are dealing in design, which is then the visual expression of the solution. But the problem is whenever you're only dealing in design, it's a commoditized relationship. Because in that point, most companies don't see the value of design. They see the value of creativity but they don't see the value of design. So I think the ability to translate what you do into business impact, to translate it into how can we reshape companies, that is wildly powerful. But I see so many leaders who don't understand how to think in that way. And again, I think that's why there's that vacuum because they're really good at creating design systems. They're really good at creating better looking work and these sort of experiences. But they really, and that's why, again, I, I would guess the number one question most people have out there is, how do I quantify the impact of design, right? Like that's where all of this yeah. is coming from. And 
my well, question that I would have for that would be, do you think someone in a design leadership position, does it necessarily, it might be very controversial, but does it necessarily need to be from a pure design background? For example, I work with quite a few banks and a lot of their heads of designs, for example, uh, actually, sorry, I can't name them on, on, uh, online, but um, <laughs> their, their head of designs are actually from business backgrounds and some of them are from a technical background, um, but they get wild results and they build out great teams and they seem to be building out incredible design teams as well and yeah, do I, all the design work. It's, it's a double-edged sword, I'd say, right? Because I think on the one hand, as we've expanded the definition of design, as we've expanded it to be more about creativity, as, as we sort of made this shift from visual design to product design, no, I, I do know. I know some extremely effective leaders who come from the product design world or the tech design world or the business world. But I think that the problem can be that right now, the ones who are able to balance those skills with the ability to still stay open, to be creative, to be able to work with design teams, to trust them to be able to do that is very rare. Because in many cases, what you see is that people, whenever they come from those backgrounds, come from the place which is probably the, the biggest dysfunction in most teams where your creativity is about getting things wrong. It's about trust. It's about whenever something goes wrong, the team invests in coming together and figuring out how to solve it. As opposed to what I see in most companies is when something goes wrong, they all freak out. And what they invest in is a lot of emails to figure out who's to blame. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think that, no, absolutely. They can come from that place, but you need to have an understanding of what creativity is. You need to have an understanding of how to work with those teams because whenever they come from that place and it's about who's right, that I need to have the answer that it's, it's more I'm going to give you a solution to be vetted, not a problem to be solved. Then I think that it, the work actually goes completely the other way. So that what, that's what I've seen is either it gets wildly really good results or it really tanks the team with sort of not much in the middle. Sure. So someone coming, say someone's at a senior product design level right now, got five, five to six years experience. They think they can become a design leader. They still need to learn business. How would you... How would you advise someone to move into a design leadership position, i.e. Like where you're at right now? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, I kind of feel like my my career path was probably a little drunk in the way that it, it's just sort of worked <laughs> through a lot of different things. Um, that's what I said. I think a lot of it for me was sort of just taking the time to understand how did I, how do you translate what needs to happen into ways that the business will appreciate. And I think, you know, the number one biggest thing that I'll advise people on in many cases is to look at the work you're doing and to probably realign the source of truth. Meaning that in many cases, you know, most companies are either tech-led, product-led, very few are design-led, but one of those groups tends to lead the way. I think your ability to, and to be a really effective leader, can come out of the fact if you can realign the source of truth for that work to being something like your customer. So that if you can say that they're going to be the source of truth, I see tons of really effective companies who will do things like once a week, they bring in consumers to test what they're working on. So it's not about whether if I'm in design or you in product or somebody else, like what our opinion is. Once a week, we have the ability to check in with a real person to validate what that is and let them be that source of truth, right? Because I think that, you know, you're going to need to know how does creativity work? You need to understand, and in many cases, I would describe it as have a good palette for what design is. Like one of the places I've studied a lot with has been chefs. And I'm always very fascinated. I'll go and talk with um, you know a head chef at like a three Michelin star restaurant and say, how do you take 
a young person out of cooking school and get them to come into such a high-performing environment. And inevitably, every time they say, we'll send them out because if you want to cook great food, you have to eat great food. And so your ability to then go out and develop a palate to understand what is good, what is bad, what makes it good, the nuance of that, right? And I think that that sort of ability, that's what's going to make somebody a really good leader. That Because then you're going to know if your ideas are good. That way you're going to have a good source of truth. So I think those sort of things for me are the really kind of like foundational elements. And the problem is most people don't do those because they're not related to a project, right? Like my ability to understand the industry is, I can't tie that back to a KPI and a project, but it's so critical to be able to understand what's going on. Yeah, it's really hard to quantify that to an employer, for example. Yeah. What Do you, do you think there's a lack of design leadership in, in the design world? Oh, it's yeah, it's insane. Um, I, I think, you know, I spend, I look, I think that there, it's, there's a multi-part problem, right? I think on the one hand, I see a lot of leaders who have amazing potential who stop themselves. I think that design imposter syndrome is running more rampant now than it ever really has. Because, I mean, that's the thing. Right now, we're in a moment where design has the ability to affect business in ways we haven't seen since the Industrial Revolution. But as we're being asked to do more and more, that, that design imposter syndrome comes in more and more because we're getting further and further away from our comfort zone. So a lot of leaders will sort of recoil back from what that is. And I think a lot of people just don't, they're not up for the fight. You know, if, if you're thinking you're going to come in and this is going to be like a movie where you make one big speech and all of a sudden everything's different, that's not the way it works, right? Like, I always will describe it that, you know, creating change is like falling in love. I can't tell you the moment I fell in love with my wife, but I can tell you it's a lot of little things that add up to something big. And you need to go in there every single day, every single meeting, every single discussion and fight that fight. And it's going to take 12 months, 18 months to be able to start to crack through and you know, that's always the thing that I'll really try to get drive through to people is it's hard. It can be lonely. It can be a reason why you don't want to step up. But the amazing thing that happens is all the people that are going to push back at you, vilify you, make fun of you. As soon as you find any success, it's amazing how those those people, those exact same people will seek you out for that exact same reason. And I do. I think that, you know, right now we're sort of in this moment of grappling with how do we breakthrough and and how do we start to be able to have this impact because again we've had this flood of you know now we have to work with tech and product and and how do we balance data with creativity and there it's just gotten so much more complicated do you think we do you think does uh, like designers burn themselves out as well because they're always oh thinking, yeah how can i impress them and how would you how would you go about preventing burnout for designers because we're so creative we're so always thinking of how we can better ourselves well no it is and i think you know it's something even in my career i've struggled with where you can really get into that almost self-destructive cycle of you know whenever you want to get in there you want to challenge everything you want to look at how can everything be different you, you that has to have a balance right because if, if at a certain point then you know you, you never really sort of appreciate anything that's why in many cases i'll talk with designers it's an interview question i'll actually ask people that trips up a ton of them well i'll actually say what do you need to be happy? And it's amazing how most of them give me a completely blank stare. Some of them have come back to me 48 to 72 hours later and saying, I haven't been able to sleep because I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what I need. So I think part of it is, you know, taking the time with those creatives to sit down and actually have a conversation to say, what do you need to be happy? Because, you know, in too many cases, I see creatives where their career is sort of happenstance. They take whatever people give them. They look to their leadership to tell them you know, what they should be happy about. And then somehow, whenever they're not, they aren't sure what to do about it. 
And and I think taking the time and, and be able to figure that out is a really big deal. But I think it also is really imperative for the leaders. And this is something that I've done on my teams. You need to leave space for non-project discussions of creativity. I used to do this twice a month with my teams where it wasn't about the work. It was just about, let's talk about where do we want to take the work? Where do we want to take the platform? I would do things like, you know, every single meeting, somebody had to come in and present and we'd kind of calendar it out. And they'd have to just present on the simple topic of what inspires you. Because again, most people don't think about it. Most people don't, but it's this sort of deliberate act of recognizing that everyone's creative process is different and that is not a weakness. But how do we acknowledge it? How do, how do you do like, well, you know, mental health days of take everybody to a museum, take them to a movie, celebrate a win, you know, make, merchandise it out to the company to say, hey, look what we're doing so that there is that recognition. Because I think that's ultimately the underlying part of this is that for most creatives, unfulfilled inspiration turns into frustration super fast. So there's a lot of those sort of things about thinking about that it is a little bit different animal. I think this is why most in-house teams really struggle is because it's just, it's a very different motion and very different approach than what most corporations are used to dealing with. I was, um, I've actually got a uh, meetup in a few weeks about how to, how to hire a designer. And um, I see a lot of these corporate companies when they're hiring designers for the first time, they hire them the same way they do a, a financial analyst, for example, oh, yeah. they, they, and they put them in the same environment. And, and are you of the belief that hiring designers is completely different? And oh yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I hire designers in a way that I actually will sometimes will piss off designers, which I'm per perfectly fine with. Um, oh I mean, God, I think like it's it, it's even one of the things that in, in Envision that we really, it's hard to get hired here. I mean, well, it's at least like six rounds of interviews. But I think you know, for me, again, going back to that food metaphor, like I'm, I'm not going to hire a cook if I haven't tried his food. And I think, you know, I see a lot of this industry that there are a lot of people who are really good storytellers. And so for me, it really comes down to like really seeing where the rubber meets the road. And one of the big things that I've always believed in is actually having people come in and we'll give them an exercise for an hour or two hours to be able to work on something. One, because I found it is a fantastic diva and rock star filter. If somebody comes back and they're like, I shouldn't have to do this. Do you know who I am? Have you seen my resume? Like, great. One, that probably tells me that your resume is pretty much BS because anybody who I know who can deliver on that wouldn't flinch at that twice. But, you know, we used to do things like, you know, one of the exercises we used whenever I was at Citibank was we would ask you to redesign two or three screens of the Citibank app using only emojis. And, you know, so one, one there's not a fear. We're not stealing your work. We're not coming in to be able to, like, you know, take your ideas but in that moment, I want to see, you know, what, what, is, what kind of systems thinker are you? How can you create? And obviously, the level that we're looking for would vary, vary based on the seniority of the person. But that's the thing for me is that it's getting beyond the talk. It's getting beyond the story. Like, let's actually see what's it like for them to work on their own. What's it like for them to work with a team? Like, let's really not make it a surprise on both sides because I want them to also see what it's like to work like with us. But let's really get in and simulate what that's going to be because resumes and LinkedIn and portfolios and all that stuff show such a small piece of what it is I'm actually looking for. How do you hire at Envision actually? Because do you have do you have like a base where you invite people in or do you hire remotely? No, so we, um, no, everything, literally everything's done remote. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of people will, I think obviously when our roles open up, there are certain people that we know in the industry that we may, may reach out to, but no, we get a ton of demand of people who are applying and no, every single thing. So all the videos are done 
like we're doing this, it's all done over video. Um, and again, we do the exercises over video, everything like that. So no, the, the whole process is done that way. And then whenever you actually start the company, the first two weeks, you get about 40 or 50 hours of um, actually onboarding for how do you work this way? Because I always thought, oh, I was I was good at working with remote teams. Wow, was I wrong? Yeah, so how do you know someone's going to be right to work remotely? Because I'm a firmer believer, because obviously I hire for my team as well. <clears throat> we do remote working, but some people just shouldn't be remote because right. they, they're so distracted and, you know, they'll... Yeah, how do you... Well, so I think that there's a few things, right? I think on the one hand, there are definitely warning signs. If somebody comes in and you say like, hey, why do you want this job? If they want to talk about their passion for design, for the community, for the tools, for things like that, that's a really good sign. If they just want to say, you know, look, I'm really tired of my commute and I'd like to work from home, you're not going to make it, right? Like if, that, if that's your lead motivation, yeah, yeah, yeah. not going to do it. Um, but I, I do. And I think, you know, a lot of it is, this is why we do so many rounds of interviews. It's why we do the tests. I think it's also why... You know, you need to teach people that, you know, that you, you don't go sit on the couch in front of the TV and work and think that you're going to be productive. You need a place in your house. You need. And so, again, I think there are certain sort of basics that will teach people about how do you do this. And again, everybody gets a WeWork card. So, you know, look, if your home is too distracting, great. Go go to a co-working space. Go do something else. So, again, I think we try to give people a lot of freedom. But I think that the, one of the biggest things that we do, which I think gets overlooked at so many other companies and whenever you look at what are the really high-performing design teams, they do this crazy thing about they hire really smart people and then they trust them to do their job. You know, I've worked at so many other companies where there's that idea that if I can't see you, you're not working, right? Like somehow you're trying to get one over on me. We're, we're the complete opposite of that. And, and so again, I think that there's a lot of trust that goes into that. But no, I think it is talking about and looking at those sort of things about you know, what are the personality traits? What's the chemistry fit going to be? Are they really good self-starters? How do they take on this challenge to be able to start to look at, at how are they going to function in that environment? What is the coolest place someone works from at Envision out of the 800 of you? Oh, man. Um, I mean, you get a lot of people who travel. I've got like our head of PR is spending this month traveling around South America. So every time I talk to her, she's in a different place. Um, I've got somebody who was like in an RV traveling around doing that. You get tons of people who, that's why I said, like, look, you want to go someplace. Like if I want to go to Europe for a month or something and go be able to work out of there. Great. You know, I, you can go do that. That's the same thing. That's why I'm able to be on the road for as long as I can. And it's not like at other companies where it's like, oh, they're not doing any work. No, you can still do meetings. You can still like, nobody freaks out. It's, it's the same sort of thing. So no, you, you do get a lot of people where, I mean, the uh, the background credibility becomes sort of a, a funny thing where people will try to one-up each other about, you know, oh, this person's in a hut in Bali, and then, you know, whatever it is. So, yeah, it, it definitely is a, it's a fun sort of game. That's super cool. I worked remotely from Bali last year for three months. I met, honestly, I can't say how many designers I met out there, like product designers as right. well. I never met anyone from Envision. But um, so in terms of just going back to my question before around where do you see most of the up and coming or quality product design talent? I did a bit of research last year and I found only 8% of people on LinkedIn, their titles product design, only 8% right. are in London. And a lot of people have this perception about London is like the up, like a great place for design, which it is, there's some great companies, but the US fires up, far outweighs far ways is so where do you see the the bulk of the talent i do i think right now i definitely see you know the u.s probably leading the way in terms of talent um in terms of driving a lot of that i i think europe is probably a distant second and then as i look into south america australia places like that i think 
that that they're years away from, I think, kind of really kind of holistically more embracing that. Um, and again, I think a lot of it just has been that in many cases, I think, you know, in-house design and, and that role or concept of product design started here a little bit earlier. Because again, you know, I, I left the agency world to go in-house probably almost like 15 years ago. So, you know, that was sort of the, the start of that trend. But I also think that, you know, we're struggling right now globally because our education system does not understand product design. In many cases, we're still teaching visual design. So that's sort of the issue is that in many cases, the people who are becoming these are getting this education. It needs to be education on the job. And it's sort of happenstance for how it happens. Because, you know, some design, some organizations, you get in there and really learn from great product people about how to really do it. In other places, they're just sort of this like slightly mutated project manager. And 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 so again, that's where the the title really doesn't quite mean as much. I think it, you know, you see a lot of that right now. A lot of people are into UX, a lot of people are into product design, a lot of people are running towards that title, but the skill set behind it is still sort of lacking because that's why I said is I think it is that emerging role. So we haven't really level set kind of as a community and said, okay, look, this is what this really should be and this is how it should function. How can we do more as a community to create awareness for like particularly schools, universities on, on, on teaching these correct skills, which is going to enhance someone's future and not teaching skills that shouldn't in the, in the dark ages? Yeah, I think, you know, I wish, you know, I, I wish I had the answer to that because I think, you know, there's a lot of art schools I've talked at. There's a lot of, a lot of schools like that I don't get invited back to because I think, you know, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm a very big advocate that I think, you know, what's going to differentiate you in your career is your ability to think, to have ideas, to lead, to inspire, to, to understand your consumer, to not have that arrogance of, you know, I am my consumer and all, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I think that, look, learning the tools is critical, but you need to learn the tools to the point to which they become transparent. And that is not a career path. And so I think, you know, for us to be able to go back to them to be continue to push on this, to be continue to demonstrate this need, then I think they will follow behind that. But, you know, I think this is something where I've been trying to find that space or find those conversations because I think there, you know, there are very, very few schools that are sort of open or, or kind of aware enough to what's going on with that. And a lot of them are still sort of taking the easier path. So I think that's, it's a question I'd, I'd love to be able to figure out the answer to, but I just don't know that I have. What do you think... Uh, without sounding, without being too controversial, because I've got some quite strong opinions on this as well. What do you think of the education schools such as General Assembly, Career Foundry, Academy XI, these boot camps, which are teaching people these courses of 10 weeks UX, yeah. and then they're going into industry, and then away they go. They've got a 70 grand role, and now they're a midway. Um... I mean, look, here. I, I think just, the, I'll, I'll say this. I think that the education system in general, I think that they definitely, they serve a good need, right? Because I think in a lot of cases, I see people who go into four-year universities who rack up hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I think at the end, probably come out with a similar education than what you would get coming out of like, you know, a 10-week or, you know, a shorter stay at, at something like General Assembly. So I, I definitely think that, you know, it can be a good path to be able to do that. But I do think a lot of it from there really does come down to, you know, how are they positioned in the industry? What kind of roles are they able to take? Because it, that's just a starting point. And I think, you know, that that may be that sort of thing is if they come out and say, OK, look, now I'm ready to take on, you know, this really serious role. Maybe some of them are. But I think, you know, that some of them kind of aren't. But I think it, it you're definitely seeing with 
the rise of online education. You're seeing the rise with General Assembly, these sort of shorter formats, which again, I think are good for being able to teach the basics. But again, I think this is why my role exists. This is why my team exists is because, you know, it, it lets you understand things in theory, not in practice. And so the ability to get out there and to be able to actually understand how does this work in the real world? How does this really apply to company? How can I start to level that up? What does that start to look like as a career path? That's where it gets a little bit trickier. But no, and I think I've always seen, you know, over my career, I've worked with some of the most amazing people who never went to university at all. And I've worked with people who went to Ivy League schools who were the worst bosses I've ever had, who like could not fall out of a boat and hit water. So I've never completely thought that like those two things necessarily have to be tied together. Um, but look, I, I think that, you know, it does. I think that those schools are really good at getting a lot more people in to the industry that might not have ever had a chance to before, just because it does make that entry point more accessible. And, and do you think we need more people or do you think we need to upskill the people we've already got? Like, I, th I think we need both. Adding... Right. Yeah. Because I, I do still think, you know, globally, there is still a real shortage of, talent you know on on that sort of side where i still see you know again we're, we're part of it is we're going through this sort of boom right now and that right now whenever i look at companies all they're doing is they're just trading talent <coughs> they're not they're not finding new talent someplace there's not a new kind of stream for that to come in yeah so in terms of uh just talking about the the, the quality versus quantity how can we then keep upskilling people in in their jobs so instead of just like yeah. moving about about and getting bored like where they're at well th i think that that's that's really the key part of it right because i think for most design teams they just sort of take the talent at face value like whatever comes in the door that's that's what they do yeah it's being about more deliberate about how do we give them career paths how do we up level them on those skills how do we work with the rest of the organization that's where some of the most impressive teams i see you know have teams that are dedicated just to education Two days ago, I, I went and visited the, the design studio for USAA in Austin whenever I was down there. And you see they have a group of about seven or eight people who and that their entire job is part of it is is helping to upscale and continue to educate and grow the skills of their internal design team. But then they also spend probably, you know, about three quarters of their time educating their product owners and their technology teams, educating the rest of the organization about how do you work and how do, how do those sort of interactions go on? So, you know, it's not surprising that, you know, their team has had this explosive growth that they're doing some of the best work in that financial space. But at the same point, they're very, very invested and very aware of being able to invest in those sort of places. And I, that's why I said, is I think most teams, because that sort of culture and, and education either happens by default or by design. And for too many places, it's by default. Your culture is just whatever people think. And, you know, their education is maybe we send them to a conference or, you know, great, go take an IDOU course or something. And, and that just, that yeah. doesn't cut it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I f fully, fully, fully agree. What about for uh, design leaders to keep in, um, to keep on top of their game? Uh, so I put out a LinkedIn post recently about what makes a good design leader. And I was talking about is speaking at events always beneficial networking all that kind of stuff but what truly makes a good design leader i i think there's i mean for me the best design leaders have to be an insider and an outsider at the same time i think that they're an insider in the fact that you have to have a tangible connection to your team you have to really understand what's going on with the work you have to you you have to really be able to get in there and to be able to help guide and lead and set the tone 
you know, but that's mostly by providing insight, direction, tutoring, things like that, right? Like you have to have a tangible connection to what's going on. But I think you need to be an outsider at the same time, because if all you're doing is just focusing on the work that's going on, you, you get sort of a myopic view of how do we position the team to be successful? How do we position the work? So I think you need to be an outsider at the same time who can take a slightly longer view at where does the work need to go? Where do we need to go as a team? What are some of the battles that we need to go fight? How do we... Because, I mean, that's the thing, right, is that right now, right now that most leaders have just sort of been reduced to like executive hysteria management, where it's just, you know, some executive says something and everybody starts running around and you have to mitigate that. I think that it really comes down to more of how do you take control, paint that picture, be able to kind of do that, but and then be able to move between those two worlds. And I think with a lot of leaders, too, you need to find ways of getting some support being able to have real conversations. I think it's why, like at Envision, it's why we started things like Design Leadership Camp and the Design Leadership Forum. There's got to be, because everybody goes on social media, you go on Twitter, you go on LinkedIn, you go on all these places. Man, my company is awesome. And man, everything's great. And man, and it's, it's amazing to me whenever I get these leaders together. And I'm like, okay, who actually believes what they post on social media? And like nobody puts their hand up, right? Like it'd be great for Halloween. Let's all go for the people we pretend to be. Um and I, I think, you know, that ability to find some sort of cohort, the ability to find some sort of support, to have real conversations about, hey, I'm struggling with this. Are you struggling with this? How, how do we do that? I think to be able to create those safe spaces, whether it's through the ones that we do, whether it's through creating your own, in some way, being able to get that sort of feedback and support um, to be as you go through those things, I think is, is, again, something that really is a problem in the industry. Because I think a lot of leaders don't really advance or they aren't sure how to move forward because they just they don't know where and how to have an honest conversation about what they're going through yeah so do you advise going to not just going to meetups but just sort of networking doing more public speaking just just going for meeting up with other leaders yeah i mean i don't think i mean look i think networking is is fine i think public speaking is fine i, I don't think you're going to get that there because a lot of people are, are going to basically come and look at where you work or look at your job title and trying to assign a value to you and then decide if they want to talk to you as opposed to, I think that's why you know, I said, if there are dedicated places like Design Leadership Forum, or there, there's a group that I have that's a private group of, of design leaders and people that are in similar roles, and we just meet once a month, and that it's just a private way for us to have conversations we just can't have anyplace else, right? Like these are people that I need to know, I need to trust, because I think that is the other delicate part of a lot of design leadership, especially as you get into bigger brands. You, these are not conversations you can have publicly. These are not things that you can say out loud. And so your ability to sort of suffer in silence can become really, really toxic. And again, this, you can't go to your team. You can't. So I think, you know, finding that sort of court cohort of support becomes really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, no, well, I, pre I appreciate your time. I'm gonna, we'll have to wrap it up. I know you're a very busy, very busy guy. Um, where can people find your work? Where can people see you next? Yeah, yeah. So if you want to, um, so the podcast, which is called The Crazy One, I've been doing for about two and a half years. You can head over to The Crazy One. It's thecrazyandthenumberone.com. Uh, whenever you go there, I've got talks coming up. I think right now I'm booked through November of this year all over the world. So you can check out a list there. Uh, again, you can always reach out if you're one of Envision's customers. Always happy to reach out and be able to kind of help work with people that way. But uh, yeah, you can find me on social media, LinkedIn, any of those places. Reach out. I'm always happy to do what I can to help. 